Welcome to a Longer Table podcast, a space for real and sometimes hard conversations that will often challenge your perspective and always empower you to pull up more seats around your own table. I'm your host, Amanda Carpenter. Let's dive in. Today, we have Erica at the table, and we are going to talk about her diagnosis of bipolar. Erica, thank you for being so open and willing to dive into probably a more taboo topic. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. I'm excited to discuss um, something that I think um, society is more open to hearing about now, um, as opposed to when I was first diagnosed, I felt like. So thank you for having me. Yeah. And I'm sure we'll talk about other things too. Obviously you having, would it be accurate to say having bipolar or being, I think it's having bipolar. Yeah. Having bipolar. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. I'm learning having bipolar that that's only, that's just a little tiny part of you. There's so much about you that I've already gotten to know and love. And so let's, let's back up and talk about when did you first receive that diagnosis? Uh, yeah, so it was in February of 2014 um, was when I um, first received the diagnosis. So I was in my 20s, um, and I I didn't really have like a lot of symptoms like before I had that diagnosis. Like it wasn't like years of depression and years of dis- um, anxiety, um, but. Um, looking back now, I could probably say like, I had it for a long time. I don't know why it took so long to, before it actually, like I was diagnosed and it actually came to fruition, I guess you could say so. Yeah. I, cause I was going to ask if you had struggled with highs and lows for years or what things were happening that even led you to go see a doctor. So I actually didn't go see a doctor. Um, my husband and I were living in Florida at the time. Um, so we were totally separate from both our families, just the two of us. Um, I was teaching at the time and I hadn't slept in like five days. Um, and I like had started getting like, I guess you could say like grandiose delusions and things like I wasn't going to work and I thought I hadn't been at work for like weeks like it was just and I had only been gone for like a day or two so it was all up in my head and my husband started to see it like when he noticed that I wasn't sleeping and then you know I was calling in sick and not going into work but he was still working so it was just like there were little signs leading up to it but not like anything you know, he had actually scheduled um, me to go to the doctor, um, but I didn't make it there. (laughs) So I actually um, ended up and like, we lived in an apartment down the street from an elementary school. And I was under the impression, like I had these thoughts that I hadn't seen my students in like weeks. And they were all on this school bus coming to our house to see us because like, I think it was a little bit of, we were preparing for standardized testing. And so I was like really stressed at the time of teaching, but anyway, so I was under the impression that they were all coming to get me to bring me back to school. And so I, what happened was I ended up running down the street. Like my husband tried to stop me, like hold me down. Like I didn't have shoes on. Like I have horrible eyesight, didn't have my contacts in, didn't have my glasses on. Um, And what happened was I ended up and I got um, Baker acted, um, which that is 
um, an involuntary institution institutionalization for the state of Florida. Okay. So I didn't seek help. Help sought me, basically. Okay. So. Wow. Yeah. So you were teaching at the time. You were a teacher. Yes. And you're going, you have these things that are happening, obviously maybe under stress, it it showed itself more. It reared its head more. I don't even know that phrase, but your husband saw it after like an, I'll call it an episode like that, where, you know, for lack of a better word, like you've, you've had a delusion. Yeah. Did you then have a moment where you're like, what just happened? Were you like able to come back to yourself or not at all? No. So yeah, like it's um, in the mental health world, like they, you call it a manic episode or like a psychotic break. Um, and so I, you know, they, school was letting out and, you know, the cop like saw, so they, they took me in the back of the cop car. I honestly didn't know what was going on. And like I said, like, I couldn't even see because I didn't wow. have my glasses or anything. So I w- ended up and was at a crisis center for about a week um, before before they released me. But no, like even when I was there, like at the beginning, I had no idea like why, why I was there. Yeah. Like, wow. What was your inpatient experience that week like? Was it, do you... I honestly like try to forget about it because I think it was just like so awful because I just, yeah, my parents then flew down um, from Indiana to Florida and they were there with my husband every time that there was visiting hours, but like, I'd hardly even remember it. And they told me, you know, they gave you so many med, like so much meds that you were just a zombie. Like, Mm. and so I, I hardly remember like them being there. Like I remember that, but other than that, it's like all a blur. Yeah. So, yeah. So coming out of that, you probably received your official diagnosis. You got put on medications. Is that sort of how that worked then? Yeah. So, um, it was, uh, so hard. Like, I don't know why you would think that getting into see a psychiatrist would be like an easy thing, but at least in Florida, it wasn't like my dad, was calling all around trying to find doctors, like actually worked with um, a pastor at our church to recommend us with someone. So I eventually got in and saw someone, but I mean, I, I obviously had to take a leave from work because I wasn't mentally stable to go back to, to school. And like, yeah. So yeah. And I, a lot of people ask, like, were you reluctant to like get treatment and like for me, it wasn't even like a choice because it was so severe that I had to, like, yeah. I did not have a choice. Yeah. To function. It sounds like everyday yes. basic things. Yeah. So was it, I'm curious. Cause I know for a lot of people with different struggles, whether it's depression, whether it's bipolar, whatever, sometimes you have to go through different medications till you find the one that works for you. Was yeah. that a journey for you to find a med that actually worked? Yes. So I was on a lot. So I had my first, um, break in 2014. We were trying out different meds then for the remainder of the year. I eventually got to go back to school and teach. Um, in 2015, the same month, February, I don't know what it is about February, but same time I had another break and like, I never returned to teaching. So it's just, but it took so long. So eventually what happened was my parents brought me back up to Indiana because 
my husband had to go to work because I wasn't working and, you know, we have bills to pay. And so I was home alone, which that wasn't good. So my, my parents brought me back up to Indiana and, but it took, so I was in like a depressive, non-functioning state for over a year. Like it was horrible. And at this point I was like, I was older than 26 when you have to like get on your own insurance. I mean, I already was on my own insurance. So that was just like a nightmare because I needed the medicine, but I, I wasn't working and yeah. So it was like, yeah, 15 months was trying different medicine. Like some days, like my mom, like forced me to get in the shower. Like it was like the most basic things that we all take for granted that I couldn't even do. Yeah. Wow. So, I mean, congratulations on making it to seven years of marriage. I think you and your husband recently, was it seven? Yes, it was seven. (laughs) Yay. Okay. So how did, I mean, obviously we're kind of jumping around here, but how have you guys made it to seven years of marriage? How has bipolar disorder impacted your marriage? And like, was he able to, do you guys now live in Indiana? Like, was he able to just move and you guys could stay together through it? Like, I, I mean, it's just, I'm sure it's so messy and you don't have to tie it up with a clean bow, but tell us kind of how you went from that to where you're at now. Yeah. So it's honestly, um, I would say, uh, the act of God, like that we're still married because when I had my first break, um, we had only been married for nine months. So like, I mean, I could say if the shoe was on the other foot, I'm not sure that we would still be married if it was Chris in my shoes. But he saw me through everything, was so supportive. Um, But yeah, our marriage, when we said I do, and, you know, not even a year later, that was not what either of us were expecting it would be like. Um, So um, bipolar, to say it affected our marriage is really an understatement because just, I mean, the first three to four years, you know, we moved back and forth and just all of that, like me being, you know, at the center for a week and yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, but yeah, eventually, so he stayed down there to sell our house and he had just gotten promoted. So he wanted to stay in his job. And I mean, I wasn't even then function would be able to even function as a wife. So it really wasn't at the time I was very upset. I felt like he chose his job over our marriage, but looking back, like he did exactly what he should have because when he did come back up, you know, I still wasn't fully mentally there. And so it was just really rough. Yeah. Wow. I mean, gosh, so there's, there's so much that my mind is flooded with, but I'm just so grateful. And I'm really awestruck by how vulnerable and willing to be transparent about all of this. You are, um, bipolar disorder among many other types of mental illness is, is something that people can't see. Like when they meet you, Erica, no one would have a clue that that's part of your life at all. Uh, what would you say? Like, to someone who knows someone with mental illness or is married to someone with mental illness, like how can spouses and parents and friends of those people be most helpful and supportive? Because it sounds like you had a great support system, which probably is why you're able to be high functioning and stable today. 
Yeah, I would say that having a support system is like the key for anyone struggling with a mental illness. And at first, like it's hard to hear the criticisms um, like from your family, but you just have to, like the person has to be willing to accept the criticisms and like trust their support system. Um, that was hard for me at first, you know, like Chris would notice like, hey, you seem to me, you know, when I was back to being stable, but we were still adjusting meds every now and again, you know, Chris would say, you seem to be like getting a little fast. You seem to be wanting to do 10 things at a time. Like, and at first it was like hard for me to hear. And I would be like, oh, he's just being sensitive. But then like, if my parents would also see it and they would bring it to my attention, then I knew like, okay, this is something that needs to be adjusted. And it's okay because, you know, it's, it, I have a chemical imbalance in my brain. So just, I think people that if you, if you, you know, someone that's struggling or someone in your family, just to be supportive of them and to understand that it will take time before they can fully like trust you that you're there to like have their back because it's, I mean, every single person is different with their mental illness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's great advice. And then I know you're a Christian, you believe in Jesus and that is a big part of your life. Having that faith, how has that in addition to like medication and therapy and and those other things, how has that been helpful for you? Yeah. So when I was first like diagnosed, um, and I was like depressed and everything, I mean, my like relationship with God just kind of went to the wayside because I mean, honestly, I was really mad. Like I had lived my life or what I had thought like for Jesus and, you know, people knew that. And I was just, I questioned God, like, why did you give this to me? Like, I felt like I've been a faithful servant and Mm. like, you know, so I was really upset for a, a while. And like, looking back, I can't really think of like, I had this like, aha Holy Spirit moment when I decided to like not be mad anymore but just I think just realizing that like God gave this to me for a reason Hmm. and I was I didn't openly like speak about it to other than my family and like a few close girlfriends like to anyone until just last year so you know 2014 2019 it took a while for me to get to that point where I was willing to like be open about it. And I, I just think I came to the realization that like God gave this to me for a reason. And maybe I should be more willing to discuss it because other people could be feeling the same way that I felt. So yeah, yeah, my faith is a, a lot stronger now. And I'm, I'm very grateful for that, that I'm not still mad at God, but, um, but therapy is also good. Um, like you touched on that. So, yeah, no, that's awesome. What's it like for you when you're stable and your meds are working? Do you feel like you're fully back to your old self before that first episode in 2014 ever happened or like what still, how, how does bipolar how does bipolar disorder still impact your day-to-day life, even when you're taking your meds and you feel like you're in a really good place? Like I assume you are today based on what, based on what we've chatted about. Yeah. Um, I think I'm like pretty much back to normal. Um, just like coming to the realization that like teaching as a career for me, 
whether I'm a hundred percent stable or not is just not a good, was not a good career for me, just the stress levels. So that was like something that I had to, it was a life altering change for what I, you know, when I went to college, I assumed, oh yeah, I'm going to be a teacher for until I retire. And so that was one thing, but, and I've gone through a lot of changes. Like, you know, I'm currently pregnant. So I had to do a lot of change. (laughs) I had to do a lot of changes with medicine to get there. So like that definitely affected, um, our marriage. And just because I couldn't just decide like, oh, let's have a baby. Like it was a big long process before I could even get there. So there are things that are different, but you know, like at work, Um, I work for my dad. So he, when I first went back to work, he was checking on me constantly, like making sure I was doing okay. But he says, you know, now like my intelligence is like, he says I'm better than before the break. So I don't know if that's true or not, but I would say that I would be like 95%, you know, back to normal from how I would remember myself. I think honestly, I'm at a better place um, because before I had my break, I had a short temper. Like I didn't know how to cope with things as well as I do now. So honestly, I would say I'm personality wise and just how I do things probably better than before I had my, before I was diagnosed. So that's so, that's so great to hear. I love hearing that. Um, I'm curious, I need to do more research on bipolar disorder. I feel like it's been one of those things though, that sometimes gets thrown around or like, is the butt of jokes. If somebody's like, like flip flops in their mood really quickly, someone might be like, Oh, they're bipolar or whatever. And it's, it's not appropriate for one, but I'm also curious is, is bipolar disorder. Is it pretty, um, is it like a genetic thing where it's passed down within families or could it happen to anyone? It's just based on the chemicals in your brain. Do you know, I know we don't have a medical professional here with us today, but since you live with it, I feel like you have authority to speak on this. So yeah, it is um, a genetic disorder. Um, So in my family, there's no one that like has struggled with mental illness. So I don't know exactly like where it came from, but yeah, um, it's a genetic disorder um, that is caused by an enzyme. And for me specifically, um, breaks down dopamine faster than the average person in my brain. And there's two types of bipolar. So like type one is you, you will have a manic episode and like things like that. You'll be hospitalized. Whereas type two is more like you can have anxiety and depression. Type two is more of the depression. So I'm type one. So yeah. Okay. That's super helpful. I feel like I'm already learning so much and I'm so grateful, but man, it's just so important. I feel like Erica, that again, I'm really, really grateful to know this part of your story because as we got to know each other, I had no idea about this. Right. And like, I would have never known, and that would have been totally fine, but it's such a gift to know it about you because it really is a way that God can use you to reach so many people. And I really believe it's a way that we continue just to grow empathy and, or develop empathy and just growing our awareness. Um, so I, I'm just really grateful. I want to end actually just on a kind of a fun note. I know that you are an avid reader. And so I'm curious if you have a favorite book or any particular books that you want to recommend. Yeah. So, um, my like all time favorite books, like I taught seventh and eighth grade language arts. So like the hunger games trilogy are like some of my favorites, but on a more you know, grown up level. Um, I love, um, Shauna Nequist. 
I love her books. Like Cold Tangerines is her first book and I love it. But Bittersweet was like, I read that once I was like able to read again and that one really helped. So I loved that. Lately though, I've been like diving into some more novels, which normally I'm kind of like a nonfiction person, but I read um, The Tattooist of Auschwitz and oh my gosh, that just like pulled at my heart. Mm-hmm. And I don't normally like really get into like World War II stuff, but I was hooked on that. So um, I also love To Kill a Mockingbird and I recently read Just Mercy, oh. which was also, it was so good. Did you, did <laughs> you lo- watch the movie too? I did, yeah. So good. Oh, yeah, the book- yes. The book stirred something, uh, stirred something in me, or woke something up in me years ago when I first read it. And then when I saw the movie on opening night, I was just in tears and like so proud of Equal Justice Initiative and Brian Stevenson. And I am like, I would geek out if I could ever meet him. And I don't say yeah. I don't feel that way about hardly anyone. I'm not really one of those people like fangirl over people, but Brian Stevenson is like, oh, my hero. Yeah, I loved that book. So, um, and I also just read Little Fires Everywhere because everyone was like talking about the show. And so I'm one of those people that if there's a show that was a book, like I have to like first read the book. So I still haven't watched the show, but I did like the book. I think the ending could have been a little bit better, but. (laughs) Yes. Okay. I haven't read the book, but we watched the show and it's so good. You'll have to watch it. Yeah, I plan to. And I just started reading that um, Lori, I don't know how you say your last name. Godleb, maybe, maybe you should talk to someone, which is like kind of funny because it's from a therapist and you know, I go to therapy, but I just started that. I'm only like three chapters in, but I think I'm really going to like it. Oh, that's awesome. That's like the book cover where it's a box of tissues. Yes. Okay. I've totally seen that one floating around the internet, so I need to check it out, but okay, great. Well, now we have a bunch of recommendations. This is so helpful. Um, any last words of anything you want to bring to the table? Um, I think I would just say to, um, anyone who is struggling with mental illness, like I was ashamed for a really long time about it. Like And I think just to know, like, even though you are feeling ashamed, it's not something that you can help. You know, it is chemical imbalance and don't be afraid to, you know, seek help. It's not because you were created messed up because that's not it. So I, and I felt like that for a long time. So Mm. just reach out to someone and if you're not comfortable reaching out to family, like try to find someone else. Therapy was like so helpful for for me because it was a non-biased person who was trained in this area. So that really helped to just talk to someone that wasn't family. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's so good. It also just reminds me once again, and I say this all the time, I feel like a broken record, but there isn't a single person we wouldn't love if we knew their story. So sometimes when we see people acting a certain way or doing a certain thing, uh, it's, it's very easy to judge, but we just do not know what's going on beneath the surface. We don't know what, um, it has happened or is happening in their, in their reality of life. And so it's just a reminder, um, yeah, just to love people and to be empathetic instead of coming to judgment. So thank you. I am so grateful for you. Um, It was a pleasure getting to chat. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very happy to have pulled up a seat at your table.